been lovely sharing the day with you today, and uh, thank you for the very warm welcome as ever. We're turning to Paul's letter to the Colossians this evening, and uh, I believe you've been looking at the, this already a little. We'll pick it up tonight in chapter 1, verse 24, and we go through to chapter 2, verse 5. So let's read that first. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24. Paul continues, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy, which will powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love so that may, they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. Though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit, and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. May the Lord bless to us the reading of his word. Now, I appreciate you've already started this book, but I will just let you know how I see the context of this book uh, and the letter that Rizmoy was written uh, just uh, it's revision for us all anyway. Uh, Paul had never been to Colossae. He uh, was in Ephesus sometime earlier, uh, and uh, one young man called Epaphras, who came from the interior of what is today Turkey, uh, was saved under Paul's preaching in uh, Ephesus. <coughs> and young Epaphras, after some period of teaching and training with Paul, started going back into the interior about a hundred miles east uh, to this place in Colossae. He probably came from Colossae to f start off with. And Epaphras started the church. And um, it was quite high up. In fact, the end of the church in Colossae was a little later on in the first century when an earthquake completely shook the city apart. And many of the people in Colossae had to come down into Laodicea, halfway down the mountains there. So or even further down, but that was yet into the future when this happened. But the problem in this church was twofold, as far as we can tell. That there were two different factions opposing each other. One was the Jewish folk 
who wanted to introduce some Jewish traditional legalism into the church and <clears throat> bring people into a sense of bondage to the Old Testament. It was a very common problem in the early days of the church where the thinking was, well, Christianity is just an extension of Judaism and therefore the old law of Moses somehow must be applied. Of course, Paul dealt with that in his letter to the Galatians where it was happening very, very much. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It is for freedom that Christ has set you free. And uh, <clears throat> we'll come to that in a moment because Paul addresses these points here in this passage as well. And there was a council in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, and they said, no, we're not going to lay anything on the Gentile Christians, the converts, uh, other than, first of all, refrain from sexual immorality. That's a given anyway. But secondly the various things that the Jews amongst you who worship with you are particularly offended by uh, eating blood uh, or the animals with the blood in it and uh, strangled animals and food offered to idols. Refrain from those things, not because that's legalism, but because of the law of love. You're offending your brothers who still feel a little bit sensitive about that. Uh, and um, in our own day, we put some voluntarily some voluntary restrictions mainly on our own freedom sometimes because of young people that are with us, because of the effect on others in the same way. So, so yes, one pressure that was beginning to emerge in this church in Colossae was the Judaizers, the people that were saying, no, you must get back to the law of Moses, all these Gentile converts must be circumcised, etc., etc., etc. The other pressure, <coughs> and again, it explains why Paul is speaking, uh, some of the things Paul is saying, was the very, very earliest strains of Gnosticism. <coughs> now, if the Judaizers came, as it were, from the East, from Israel, the Gnostics came from the West, from Greeks. And Gnosticism had its full force in the next century. But it was in the church, right at the beginning. And it was that thinking that only certain people had the inner light. Only certain people would have the real gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they had to be listened to. And they had the knowledge that others wouldn't have. And uh, as you can probably see, that was a recipe for authoritarianism, for control, for man-made discipline. The Gnostics said, ah, we have the hidden truth, a pity about you. And immediately it was dividing the Christians. So both these issues, Epaphras brought uh, to Paul, uh, uh, um, uh, and Paul uh, said, um, okay, I'll write them a letter, as Paul was wont to do. And that's how we got this letter, the letter to the Colossians. And uh, he's um, uh, really saying the um, important things are to look at the deity of Jesus Christ and, uh, and what he wants to be to each one of us and what he's doing in this new era that's opened up and everything else will fall into place. Make Christ central. Make Jesus center of your relationships together, your worship, your beliefs. And if Jesus is Lord amongst you, then everything else will fall into place. Of course, behind that is the growing feeling that came through Gnosticism that maybe the Lord wasn't divine. And some of the Jewish people were also beginning to come in with this as well, the deity of Christ. Uh, so all these issues were rumbling around in this early church. And Epaphras said, I'm going to meet Paul. He's in Ephesus again. 
<coughs> and I'm going to um, tell him our problems. Isn't it good that the church recognizes there may be some issues which can cause trouble if not checked and seek to take them to the Lord or to his people and get them dealt with? And that's really the important practical aspect of uh, this little book. So let's look at our passage. And first of all, in verse 24, he says, Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you and fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. That is a difficult verse. It can almost be looked to say a saying, for saying, well, what Jesus did on the cross wasn't good enough. So I'm going to come to add to it and make the difference. <laughs> we know Paul well enough to know that he would never say that. What he's saying is the way you understand about Jesus isn't as complete as it ought to be. The way you have understood things. It's nobody's fault. He's not criticizing anyone. He says, but listen, through this letter and the calling I learned from Epaphras, who's probably the pastor there, he, he said, I am making up what you still lack, not in your salvation, which is complete in Jesus Christ, but with your understanding. And I want to make up the difference. Now, that is the important job those who teach the word have. As Ray said just now, the apostles' teaching is so important. I'm not trying to draw attention to myself or my own ministry. I'm talking about all of us who have been given the job of teaching the word of God. We are filling the gaps. We are making people complete. We are taking the great eternal truths of the gospel and applying them to people's lives to fill maybe what they haven't heard before in ways that they haven't received yet. And boy, there's a lot of Christians today with the lack of teaching in the church. They need someone to fill the gap, to make complete their understanding of who Jesus is, what he's done, the wonders of the future, etc., etc. Dear friends, if you are sitting under the teaching of the word of God in a place of his appointing here. Value it. Thank God for it. And allow God to use those who are teaching the word to fill up any gaps, any uncertainties, any doubts that you have. That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when I'm dealing with your issues, I'm filling up in my flesh, in my personal life, what is still lacking in what Christ has done as far as you're concerned. I want you to know the fullness of God's salvation. I want you to know the fullness of Christ's being. He's already uh, enumerated that earlier in this chapter. He says the fullness of Jesus is the fullness of everything. Uh, and so he's saying, that's what I'm doing. And I want you to listen. I, I, I don't want you to be just children in the faith. I want you to grow up into maturity and to be the people who have the knowledge of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're seeking to know more and more. You know, one of the things that I've enjoyed growing up in the Christian faith is two things. One is balance, and the other is maturity. And, uh, you know, if, if we're open to the Holy Spirit, rather than just all sorts of ideas peddled by different people, if we're really seeking God to anoint what we're listening to, so we get that inner witness, that discernment of what is true and what is not true, then the Lord wants us to become mature in our spiritual lives and balanced in our handling of the Word of God and in the truth of Scripture. Balance and maturity, two great objectives that we should all be growing up into. 
Paul's saying, I want to fill up in my own body, in my own ministry, in my own life, what's still lacking in your understanding there in Colossae. And that's the nature of my ministry, he says. And then we look at verses 25, 26, and 27. Let's put those together again in a minute. I have become its servant of the church by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now what is he talking about there? Paul is, as far as I can see, and it seems to me right, he's actually opening up a subject that has been the area of great uncertainty in the early days of the Christian church. What is God doing in the world? What is happening uh, uh, in the day in which we live? You see, <clears throat> when things are going on in our own day, it's very hard for us to get a perspective you know, when you study history, you've got to get a little bit on there to look back and see the perspective and to see how it's all falling into place and what's been going on. And one of the things that was not happening in the early Christian church is this, see, uh, this realization that a new age has dawned altogether, the day of Pentecost. That was the beginning of a new era in human history. Jesus had told the disciples it was going to happen like that. <coughs> Uh, and uh, one or two of the, um, uh, the, the uh, early apostles got it. Peter didn't, first of all. Well, he did a little bit, and then he went back. He, I, I, and uh, he was beginning to become a Judaizer again. And thinking, oh, no, 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 this is, uh, we've got to get back into some sort of Jewish framework here. And Peter and Paul had a big argument about it. But when Paul's dealing with this subject to the Galatians, he's saying, Paul, uh, Peter and me, we gave each other the right hand of fellowship. We understood that God's doing a new thing, but he calls us to different aspects. Peter is going back to the Jews. I'm going to the Gentiles. But there is something new afoot. And James, the natural-born brother of Jesus, had the same when he was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, Acts 15. Listen to these words. Don't turn to them. Just listen to them. It's what... Paul is saying to the Ephesians, chapter 3 of Ephesians, verse 2. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is, the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit, to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. Now, when Paul is saying this back to the church in Colossae, he's really having a go at the Judaizers. And he's saying, you just want the church to be a reflection of the Jewish culture. You're just saying, oh, this is an extinction of Judaism, uh, and it's no different. You're trying to build what God is doing now on what he did through the law of Moses. No. The mystery is that things are very different. That a great change has happened. A thousand years later, we can see it. The day of Pentecost was the birth of the Christian church. Uh, and I'm a great believer in the, <coughs> in, in, in the uh, passage of different eras 
or ages or dispensations, if you like, within God's dealings with humanity. And um, <clears throat> I think you can't really understand the scripture without seeing that God worked in different ways in different times. Yes, up until the fall, there was one way. And then there was uh, 1,600 years to the flood. Then there was the flood to the Tower of Babel. And then there was uh, Babel to uh, uh, the, the age of promise to Moses. And then there was the age of the law from Sinai right through to Pentecost. It's Pentecost right through to the coming of the kingdom of God on earth when Jesus comes back. And then we'll be into the millennial kingdom. I, I can't minister on all of that tonight. It's thrilling. And, and uh, it's the ages. And Paul is saying, this is a new age. A new era has dawned. We have to understand that God is doing a new thing. It was a mystery. It was not revealed to the past uh, people. But it's revealed to us. And uh, Paul and a few others were beginning to see. There's no going back to the past. God is doing a new thing. I think there's a little echo of that, as I said this morning, in our own day. You know, God's doing a new thing. We can't go back to what things were like even before COVID. The church is under tremendous pressure. And we have to come, uh, we have to go with what God is doing in this world and amongst our nation. Different form of evangelism, the different form of, uh, uh, of reaching out. As people are very fearful about what is happening in the world, and we bring the salvation of Jesus Christ not to a formula and say, do come in and join us. It's nice when they do, but they, they don't uh, very often. But what we say is, in your fear, Jesus is still offering you salvation. God has still got a plan, and he's still doing a great work in these days. As we reach the end of this age, many of us believe. So Paul is saying here, I want you to know that this is a new era. So don't go back to legalism. Don't go back to Jewish traditionalism. Don't go back to the law and expect people to be saved by the law. It's not. Jesus is doing a new thing. And for the whole world, the Gentiles as well, Jesus was the one that said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Now, that wasn't the Old Testament message. It was the new era of the church. And it's Christ in you. You can come from any race, any culture, any creed. It really doesn't matter what color you are or anything else. It's Christ in you. It's what's happening in your heart. It's the receiving of Jesus Christ that's going to make the difference. And God is going to use you as salt and light in this world, as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And that's the glorious message. So forget the traditions of the past, but, to, but just rejoice in what Jesus wants to do in each one of you, step by step and day by day. It may be a mystery, but it's the hope of your glory. And uh, isn't it glorious when we see God doing wonderful things around the world? Don't we love to see great missionary reports from parts of the world where we may never go, but we see thousands coming to the Lord in areas that have only just been touched by the gospel in these last days. The Lord said to the disciples on the Mount of Olives, uh, no, I'm not coming back yet. You've got the ministry of the suffering servant. That's what I came the first time to do. And you take that to the end of the world, and then I'll be back. Not to. So uh, that's what Paul is saying. He's saying it's what Jesus is going to do to you. It's a new way of God's working. It's the same God, but he's going to bring glory to, the whole, uh, to people who choose, uh, turn to him uh, amongst the whole world. It's a new dispensation. And then verse 28. 
we proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So what's he getting on there? He's saying it's everyone, not a few specialized people who have got some privileges, the Gnostics, as it turned out. He's saying, what I'm doing, threefold, I'm proclaiming, I'm admonishing, and I'm teaching everyone. Doesn't matter how old you are, how young you are. It's not for a select few. It's not for people who have got the inner light, who have got the word that you've got to believe because they're telling you to. It's not. My ministry, as the teacher of the word, as the apostle, admonishing, uh, proclaiming, admonishing, and teaching everyone. And isn't it wonderful when people who maybe you maybe you think people they haven't had very much education, they said it's a third-rate education just now. And uh, I don't believe that, by the way. And uh, you you um, you just see that sometimes they'll say something, and you think, I've never seen it like that. Thank God for that uh, word that they just said. And it may be somebody very ordinary. And they've told you something, something about their experience of the Lord that's really blessed you. And, uh, you know, they've, they've picked it up. And Paul's saying, no, I'm not, I'm not going to speak to a select few. I'm not just going to deal with those who have got a special anointing. It's for everyone. The teaching, the proclamation, the admonishing, the whole work of the apostolic ministry it's for you all. So don't start putting barriers between you. And don't start saying some people have more a deeper revelation than others. It's for everyone. To bring them to perfection. To bring them into maturity. Uh, he, he said there. Uh, with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So a Christian friend here and you think, well, I'm only a very ordinary person. Maybe I haven't got a lot of wisdom. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm struggling along with the best. God wants you to be perfect in Christ. He wants you to have a knowledge and a walk with Jesus that's just for you and special for you. Don't ever look down on yourself just because other people might have sidelined you or ignored you. Everyone. The Lord is making us perfect in Christ. Building us up so that when we see him, we will be complete. We will be perfect. Again, I mentioned that uh, passage in Jude. When uh, we see him, when we stand before him, and uh, we are without fault. Not just morally, but in our knowledge, in our worship, in every part of our relationship with God, we're complete. It does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he appears, we should be like him. The job will be done. And everyone who has that hope within them purifies themselves. Verse 29. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. Well, it certainly did. And aren't we so grateful for what God did from uh, through this man? And uh, <coughs> he's saying, it's not me. It's not me telling you. I'm just the messenger. He said, um, it, it's... it's uh, it's working in me. It's a gift from heaven. The anointing I have comes from the Lord. It's not from me. And uh, <coughs> Paul often, in his writings, has to tell us that, you know, he had to search whether he had the mind of Christ or not. But he was saying, what is working powerfully in me with all his energy is his word for you. 
is his instruction, is his guidance, is his admonishing and proclaiming and so, and so on. And I want you to know that Jesus uses people like us. Dear friend, each one of us, can we just open our lives to the Lord and say, Lord, just use us today, whoever we're with, in whatever capacity we find ourselves. Lord, just help me with a word, with an attitude, a sense of love and friendship and understanding and empathy that people might never, not get from anywhere else. But it's your work in me. It's your love through me. It's the power of your Holy Spirit in my life. And Lord, I just want to bring, make a difference to the people around me who may be so filled with fear as to what's happening to them and their families and the future in this world today. So then we go on to verse 1 of chapter 2. I want you to know how much I'm struggling for you and uh, for all, uh, and for those at Laodicea, and for all who have not met me personally. He said, I'm struggling for you. I want to share with you. I feel for you. I mean, this is not just words he's using. <laughs> the Holy Spirit wouldn't have allowed him to use these words which are preserved in Scripture if it wasn't true. The first read is at 2 Corinthians chapter 11 where he's talking about the terrible things that he suffered for the burden of the churches. It wasn't a cozy ride for him. It wasn't an easy life. It wasn't uh, money-making. It wasn't to get fame. It, in, in, in 2 Corinthians, he said, I'm, I'm, I'm daft to talk like this. I'm mad. But he was doing it because he loved the Lord's people, particularly these Gentiles coming into the beauty of knowing Jesus and the kingdom of God. And uh, he's saying, I'm struggling for you. It's an obsession with me. It's a power within me driving me. And I can't do anything else but do my best for you. I may not have met you, but what I'm writing to you here, I've thought about, I've prayed about, I've tried to write in the best possible way. And I just love you. And I, I just feel for you. And I'm struggling against these things that are creeping in. They hurt me to hear that they're going on. I just want you to be free and full of Christ. And it's a struggle. It's what I do, what I'm called to do. And, you know, sometimes we do think that when the Lord asks us to do things, it is a struggle. Young people or amongst the children, in the family situation sometimes, in the work situation, and it's a struggle. But how do we get over that? <laughs> it, because it starts with love. And if only we could see those people around us with eyes that Jesus see the, see, uh, uh, sees them. He says, uh, Paul says this to the Philippians, uh, 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 talking about the, the pressure that he was under because of the love for other people. And he said, it's just like the, the, the way that Jesus feels. And I feel for it as well. Because he loves them and he wants them to be free of sin and saved and on their way to eternal life. He said, I'm struggling. Dear Christian friend, it is a struggle to reach out to people. It is a struggle sometimes to give ourselves completely for the sake of others, to actually feel for them. It's so easy to go along with the crowd and just criticize and say, oh, why what can you expect from them and blame them? And this world is full of blame for each other. Have you noticed the tremendous violent reactions that people are having, whether it's in politics or business or culture or whatever? There is so much animosity. And Paul is saying, no, I'm struggling because I love you. I, I want to make every effort. 
Spirit to look after you, to help you, to bring you into a fuller relationship with God. It's a struggle, but that's what it is. That's what I'm called to do, and that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, and then verses 2, 3, and 4, where he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of, <coughs> treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding uh, fine arguments. So he said, I just want you to grow up into that maturity, into that blessing, into that love. The heart of the apostle was not to make a name for himself, but to see others just grow in grace to know how to deal with these pressures that were coming on them in the church. And, and saying, no, I'm, I'm, not, I, I, I'm not trying to put it over you. I just want to see you fulfilled, complete, rejoicing at peace in the beauty of Jesus. And that's what my great ambition is. Is that what we're, our ambition is? You know, so often we've just looked for the numbers in the church, how many people we've got, how better we're doing than others. Our hearts should be just for the individuals, wherever we meet them, other believers. I just want to help to build you up. I just want to make you a more complete person. I want you to know the joy of the Lord and to move on in Jesus Christ. We're one family. We're hidden in Christ. And then finally, verse 5. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit. Delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. You know, the way he's writing, you'd think he knew these people. <laughs> well, he does. Well, he did. In Christ. Uh, he, his heart was filled with the way the Holy Spirit felt, uh, filled him with love for these people who were suffering, who were 100 miles away from where he was. And yet, somehow, the Holy Spirit drew him into oneness in emotion, in feeling, in thought, in spirituality with these people and said, look, I'm with you. We may not be physically one at the moment but we're all going to be together in heaven I want to help you on your journey there and I want to see you complete in Christ and rejoicing in what God is doing in the world in a new era when the gospel is for all and certainly for you get over your problems by getting deeper into Jesus and that's how you will know what it is to live in harmony and oneness one family before God may the Lord enable us to live the same way in our day and those of us that have any duty in teaching others the word, help us to look at the word not as uh, an obligation, not as something that uh, you know, em enhances us, but something that builds others up. And this is the, 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 the body of Christ, the church that loved him. May the Lord bless you. We'll finish with the prayer.